Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 11, reading verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. We entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you this morning from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So one of the more exciting things in our house right now is Paul, our little boy. He is just learning to talk. (laughs) Uh, He's 16 months as of last week. And so it's not like he's got this really vast vocabulary, but I would say it's probably like seven, maybe eight words that are just kind of like, I know what this means. It's great. Uh, And so the first word he ever said, he's been saying this one for a while. In fact, any guesses what it is? Hear the competition. Uh, Mama. That's what it was. Or the way he says it, he goes, Mama? (laughs) Which seems to indicate to me he totally loves his mom. Uh, So the second word he ever said, I was pretty convinced it was going to be Dad. In fact, I was really hoping for that. I kind of figured I'm next in line, right? (gasps) Nope. Uh, The next word was ball. (laughs) He chucks it across the room. It's ball. Uh, He loves every kind of ball. The next word, and probably also next in order in terms of who or what he loves, was daddy. Uh, But the way he says it, it's going to sound weird. It was daddy is what he says, (laughs) which mama is mama, kind of sweet, but daddy is like daddy, kind of (laughs) crazy. 
Not going to read too much into that. Uh, but finally, one of his newer words, every time Christy and I pick up our keys, he looks at us and he goes, bye. <laughs> With like a little Southern accent. Like, where did that come from? This kid was born in Pittsburgh. He's got a terrible towel in his nursery. You know what, a terrible towel? Okay, anyway, bye. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. And one thing this has got me thinking about lately is just how innate language is to us. It's like the capacity to communicate is pretty much just built into us from the get-go. That obviously doesn't mean we're able to understand everything people say from the second that we are born. But it does mean that as long as we've got open ears. And what I mean by that is as long as a kid is just listening to the language that surrounds him, he's going to begin to pick up on it. So we've been in this sermon series on the book of Acts, and maybe the main thing you see in the book of Acts, uh, from the second the apostles received the Spirit, this is in chapter 1 of Acts, it's almost like the capacity to communicate with God in particular just gets kind of built into them. And what I mean by that is all of a sudden the Spirit begins speaking to them, and the thing about the Spirit is he speaks a very particular language. And so what he is doing throughout the book of Acts, he's not just speaking to the apostles, he is also in speaking to them, teaching them how to understand him. And whereas they don't understand everything from the second they are reborn, as long as they've got open ears, and as long as you and I have got open ears, we're we're going to begin to pick up on that language that is surrounding us. And so the question I want to put out there this morning is, how do you discern the voice of the Spirit? In particular, how do you know it is not just your own desires that you're following, but instead you really are being led by the Holy Spirit? How do you know that? As we go to our passage, we're in Acts chapter 11. Acts 11 is actually just Peter's own explanation of what had happened to him in Acts chapter 10. Uh, What had happened is, first of all, the Spirit had given Peter a vision. In particular, it was a sheet with a bunch of unclean animals that dropped down in front of his face. And then the Spirit had orchestrated this meeting after that with an unclean man, in particular. And putting it back to back, what the Spirit is telling Peter is, the gospel is not just for clean people. It's going to be for the unclean, Peter. It's going to go to the irreligious. It's going to go to the Gentiles. It's going to go to people who don't know the Lord. And what's funny is we hear that, at least I think so, and we're like, duh. Right? That's the way it has always been. And yet, no. That's not the way it's always been. In fact, at the time of our passage, this is a totally new concept for them. And more specifically, the Spirit is doing a totally new thing. And so the question is, how did Peter discern that? How did he know that this was of the Spirit and not just of Peter. And in the passage, what we see are essentially three principles of discernment. I don't really like the word principles for this. Uh, So maybe a better way to put it, these are kind of like the Spirit's fingerprints. That if he's the one actually leading you, these little marks are going to be all over it. Okay. Uh, So I want to go through them, three of them. Let's start with the first. Uh, When Christy and I first moved out to Pittsburgh, this would have been in 2014, uh, we bought a house out there, and one of the first things we did, started planting a bunch of flowers. Uh, We moved in the middle of summer. There's a ton of rain out there in the summer. 
And so pretty much everything you put in the ground, it just grows like crazy. So our first summer, we've got this moderately beautiful garden. But then, of course, what comes is winter, in which case everything just dies. And so year after year, you're really just putting new stuff in, having it die, doing it again, having new stuff in, having it die, doing it again. And so for about three years straight, as soon as it got to be spring, I would be out there digging up the soil. And the thing is, whenever I did, I kept finding these little balls of material in the dirt. It almost looked like little light bulbs or something like that, gardeners. Uh, I didn't know what it was, but it was some sort of plant material. It was kind of white. I thought it was kind of gross. Uh, and so every spring, whenever I dug those up, I would just chuck them in the trash. Why are you laughing? <laughs> and then I would always plant something new in their place. And yet what I started to notice is in spite of all this effort that I was putting in, our garden was just getting worse. Literally every year, it was just more and more sparse. I'm like, what is going on? And so one day, beginning of spring, I'm in the front yard, I'm digging up the ground again, and I start talking to one of our neighbors. Her name was Pat. Her husband's name was Ray. And the thing about Ray and Pat is they had lived in their house a grand total of 45 years. (laughs) They moved in in their early 30s, just like Christy and I did. They just stayed a lot longer. Uh, Every year they were there, uh, we were there, however, Pat had the most beautiful garden in the neighborhood. I mean, it was just flowers everywhere, beautiful plants, birds chirping in the trees. Every spring, it would seem like things would just pop up out of nowhere. And so I'm talking to Pat, and I'm kind of complaining about our yard, and I just dug up one of those balls. So I pick it up, and I show it to her, and I'm like, Pat, I keep finding these in our yard. Like, what is this? And she just starts laughing. You see, because some of you obviously know already, uh, those little balls of material that I was throwing in the trash every year, those were flower bulbs. (laughs) Whoops. Uh, So I got to be honest, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't even know there was such a thing called perennials. And so unbeknownst to me, I had literally been uprooting every bit of good that the previous owners had cultivated. And what I learned that day is, man, is that foolish. You see, because in order to have a beautiful garden, you do not just uproot everything every time you enter a new season. Instead, at least when it comes to perennials, you've got to keep and cultivate those plants over time. Bulbs in particular, what looks like pointless pieces of plant material, is actually the potential for a spectacular spring. So if we go to our passage, what is he talking about? <laughs> if we go to our passage, the gospel of God's grace is going out to the Gentiles. That is the quote-unquote new thing the Spirit is doing. And yet here's the thing about it. It's not new. It's not. In fact, the salvation of the Gentiles is all over the Old Testament. It is prophesied, permitted, even promoted over and over and over again, all of which means this was the plan all along. And so this new thing that Spirit is doing in this passage is really just the fulfillment of what God has already said in the Old. Or to use our analogy, this is just the budding and the blooming of a biblical bulb that has been there all along. It's a perennial truth about the Lord and about his ways and what's new about it. The only thing that's new about it is that it's finally taking, taking root and growing in the world. And so how does this impact discernment? Like, what does this have to do with discernment? One thing is a negative 
impact. And by negative, I don't mean like bad. I think that's how we typically think of negative is bad. I just mean it negates something that we are very much prone to do. Uh, what it is, every time human culture enters a new season, and it feels like we're entering a new season, probably have been for a long time. So every time human culture enters a new season, it has always been the temptation of the church to just uproot these perennial truths out of the soil of Scripture and just throw them out. And to put in their place some of the short-lived fads of the culture that we live in. And what is so deceiving in terms of our discernment is if we do that, typically something new will immediately flower up. I mean, when a church or a person gives into the spirit of the age, it rapidly produces some sort of new life. It feels good. It looks right. It seems exciting. And so a lot of people think this is utterly necessary in order to make the garden of Christianity flourish in this new world, right? So we discern that this must be of the spirit. And yet the thing is, it never works. never works. In fact, churches that forsake the word of God always just end up withering and dying. You see it all the time. Individual Christians that uproot what God has said, they do not end up flourishing in the faith as they do that. A lot of the times they end up leaving it all together. All of which tells you this is not of the spirit. You see, because his work, which we see in our passage, is to take those perennial truths about the Lord and his ways, many of which, let's be honest, they look weird to us. Like, what is this? But he takes those and he makes them bear this beautiful fruit in our life. And so the positive impact or the positive implication for discernment is if you want to discern what he is saying, if you want to learn the language of the Spirit. Dear friends, root yourself in the Bible. Root your discernment in particular in the Bible. The Spirit's always going to communicate in continuity with the Word, not contradiction. And so the best way to learn His language is to be totally immersed in that new world of the Bible, that is. So that's the first thing. Let's go to the second. Again, the question is, how do you discern the Spirit's voice? How do you know it's Him? So this might seem unrelated, but if you go back to Deuteronomy 19, one of the things the Lord tells his people is any sort of charge has to be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Um, what that means is if, if someone is going to get accused of something in court, back then any sort of accusation had to be substantiated by at least two and preferably three witnesses. And it's just kind of a basic rule back then. But you see, as you go into the rest of the Bible, what happens is that same principle gets extrapolated to all sorts of other things. The most important of which is it gets applied to knowing what the will of God is. Meaning if you think God is telling you something, it's got to be established by, quote, two or three witnesses. In other words, at least two or three, three things need to be pointing you in that direction. And so you take that, it's from Deuteronomy 19. Take it, you go to our passage. How many times does that sheet of unclean animals drop down in front of Peter? It's verse 10. It happens three times. Verse 11, how many people come to tell Peter about Cornelius? It's three people. It's all intentional. And so with the vision of the sheet, even though it happens three times, that is actually still just one sign, and you never know, it could be just a fluke. Maybe Peter's losing his mind up on top of the rooftop, but then also with the men who show up, that's a second sign. 
And all of a sudden, it is seemingly more likely that maybe the Spirit is saying something. And you see then what happens, this is actually chapter 10 in the record of the actual event, but in chapter 10, what, what the people say to Peter, they say that Cornelius is a, quote, upright and God-fearing man. That's what they say to him. And you see, what they are doing in that moment is they are appealing to Peter's affections. I would say the Spirit is appealing to Peter's affections through these men. And what I mean by that is he is drawing on the fact that Peter knows the love of Christ. He knows it. And that is the third kind of sign or third witness that is of the Spirit, namely that Peter's being moved and motivated by love in this instance. And since love is of the Spirit, then if the voice of love is calling him to go to Cornelius, he takes that to mean the voice of the Spirit is calling him to go to Cornelius. Love is his guide. And so you see what this is saying as a whole is in order to know that it's the Spirit of God, it has got to be consistent. Meaning it's not just going to be a one-off thing, right? Where you get a particular feeling and that's it. Or you have a particular dream and nothing else happens. Or you hear a particular message. And if it's just once and you never really get again, probably not the Spirit. Twice? Maybe you should take notice. Three times? Four? Five? You've got a bunch of faithful, God-fearing people telling you pretty much the same thing over and over again. Or you've got a bunch of circumstances all pointing you in the same direction. You've got love in your heart calling you this way. You better pay attention to that. There is a really good chance it is the Spirit leading you. It is in continuity with the Word, and now it's also consistent in terms of what it's telling you. So let's go to the last thing. This is kind of going to kind of wrap the other two into it as well. But the last thing, before I mention what it is, just about four years ago, Christy and I were really hoping and praying for a move. If you've ever felt that way in your life, right? Uh, we were still living in Pittsburgh, and over time, we had this growing sense that we wanted to be closer to our families. And um, particularly, we really wanted to set down roots as we had kids and be close to them. Uh, so I started applying to different churches, and two in particular I had interviews with. Uh, they were both associate pastor calls out in the state of Arizona, which is right where Christie's family lives. Uh, what I remember distinctly is in each of the interviews, ah, <laughs> I had no peace about it. You see, I felt like I was kind of pretending <laughs> that it was a good fit. Heart of hearts, I knew that it wasn't. And yet at the time, I was just kind of desperate for a change. And so I was willing to pretend, this is going to be great. It's not. <laughs> I knew it, but it's going to be great. Uh, so again, I had no peace. That was maybe the first sign or witness that this was not of the Spirit. Number two, every time I read the Bible for morning devotions, I kept coming across the same refrain. It was, wait for the Lord. It's all over the place. Wait for the Lord and let your heart take courage. It says, wait for the Lord and trust in him. Wait for the Lord and he will act over and over again. And so I'm like, I'm getting the point, right? Uh, but you see, then I would get in the car and I would drive to the church. I would almost always turn Charles Stanley on, on the radio. He's a Baptist pastor. He'd be on the same time I drove to the church. Uh, he came on right as I got in the car for a really good chunk of time. He did a whole sermon series on waiting for the Lord. And so I was pretty sure that that was the Spirit's message. So I waited for a good two 
to two and a half years. Most of the time, not very happily. I don't know if you've ever found yourself just waiting. You're not happy. You see, what happened is this one night, seemingly out of nowhere, I had a dream. I had a dream. And it's going to sound weird. I'm just going to warn you. <laughs> but that dream was that I got called here. Now, some of you know I was a member here after college, so I knew about the place. It wasn't like this just came out of nowhere, like, oh, Christ, Lutheran church. Uh, no, I knew about the place, so I, but I woke up in the morning. I thought it was a pretty cool dream. And yet, in my mind, it was just kind of like, whatever. <laughs> it's just a dream. I'm a Lutheran. I don't believe in visions, right? It's like raising your hands in the air when you worship. So to me, it seemed like kind of a fluke, nothing more. So I'm driving to the church that morning, and as cheesy as this is going to sound, but you know when couples have like a song that's like theirs, they dedicate it to their high school boys? This is our song, right? Uh, so we've got a couple of those. Uh, and in particular, we have our California song. That's because the first time Christy came out to visit my family in California, uh, this song was on the radio over and over again. Uh, it's not a worship song. It is not holy or anything like that. It's actually Smashing Pumpkins 1979. Just kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, I'm driving to the church that morning. All of a sudden, that song comes on the radio. Comes on the radio. I stop at the light, and all of a sudden, the wheels in my head just start turning. I've had this very realistic dream of moving to California. This song that's our California song is playing on the radio in the background. And so I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'll call Pastor Mike. <laughs> now, if you don't know Pastor Mike, he used to be the associate pastor here. He and I had kept in contact after I went to seminary. And so that afternoon, I gave him a phone call. And I didn't tell him about anything on my end. Uh, but it turns out that on the same day all this was happening out in Pittsburgh, that night at CLC, Pastor Joe was announcing his retirement. I don't know. It seems like maybe the Spirit was orchestrating something. I knew my affections. I knew that I loved this church. And even though I really didn't think this would go anywhere, I really didn't only because I kind of look like I'm 16. I have a tendency to talk way too fast in sermons, right? I wasn't going to have as much experience as the other guys. And yet I felt a little bit of a call. And so I just figured I'm going to knock on that door and see what happens. So here's the thing about the Spirit, and this is where discernment can get a little bit tricky. This is just hypothetical, but if I had applied and the call committee's response was just thanks, but no thanks. You're just not the pastor we're looking for. What would that have meant for my discernment? What does it mean for your discernment when a door closes that you thought you were meant to walk through? In particular, could I have been like, Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> uh, you guys don't get it. I had a dream. We've got a song. <laughs> Pastor Joe's retirement, same timing. I really love what Christ of Lutheran Church is about. Come on, come on, come on. I think you're making a huge mistake. I know it. The Spirit is leading me. No. 
I couldn't have said that. You see, because for something to be of the Spirit, it needs more than that. It can't just be in continuity with God's Word. It can't just be consistent in terms of the messages that you're getting. It's also got to be confirmed by the outcome itself. And that's the third piece in discerning the Spirit's voice, that it actually happens. Meaning if you knock on the door that you think he wants you to walk through, it opens for you. And it doesn't just open, but in opening it bears a particular kind of fruit in your life and in the lives of other people. And so one thing you see throughout the book of Acts, sometimes the apostles would get blocked from going into a particular town over and over again. They just couldn't go in. Uh, or they would go to a particular place and no one at all would be open to the gospel. And you see, whenever they faced that, they took it as a sign, the Spirit is leading us elsewhere. And that does not mean they didn't persevere through trials. It doesn't mean they gave up really easily. It's just that if the Spirit had closed a door, they took it as closed. If only because they trusted, he's sovereign. He's not sitting up there like, oh, sorry, guys, I couldn't open that one. No. He's sovereign. And so if the door is totally closed, he's leading you elsewhere. And so in today's passage, what happens is instead of hitting a roadblock, this time the gospel is incredibly fruitful. Peter preaches to the Gentiles, and so he's following where he thinks the Spirit is leading. He doesn't know for sure at this point. He just thinks it. So he's following that, and you see the outcome of that is the Spirit of God actually falls on and fills the Gentiles. It is effective. And so after the fact, the way Peter convinces everyone else that, the, that this really is of the Spirit is that it's actually bearing fruit. And that means two things, to bear fruit. Uh, one is it's advancing the salvation of other people. The other is it is redounding to the glory of God. And you see, whenever the outcome of something is the faith of other people is benefited and the name of Christ in particular gets glory, that is the work of the Spirit. You can know it. Uh, so for me, if I kind of close the loop on my own discernment, two to three years from now, two or three witnesses. Actually, it's already been a year, so one or two years. Uh, two to three years from now, if this is starting to bear at least a little bit of fruit, that's how I can know that this is of the Spirit. And if it doesn't bear fruit, all I know is you voted for me. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but no, really, in order to discern the Spirit, look for the fruit, right? Look for the fruit. Follow the word. It's going to be in continuity. Listen to the signs. They're going to be consistent. Two or three witnesses, even more is better. But most of all, look to see whether other people are being benefited and God is being glorified. You see, because that is the confirmation we need. If only because that is the direction that the Spirit is always leading in. And so the only question for you and me is, are we hearing, are we listening to what he is saying? Like a child learning a language, we do not understand everything at once. That's an unfair expectation. However, 
as we mature in the Christian life, as long as our ears are open, we're going to begin to pick up on that language that is surrounding us. So let's pray as our worship team comes forward. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for actually giving us your spirit. That we can actually have a communicative relationship with you. And be the beneficiaries of your wisdom, the instruments of your glory. And so, Father, we pray this morning, help us to hear what the Spirit is saying. Uh, Take away all of our pride that that would have us live for our own name and glory. Take away all of our fear that would have us shrink back from your will. Instead, God, by the Spirit, help us to walk in ways that are full of faith. And that give us peace. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.